Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to the Leading Agile booth at Agile 2018. Dom Price is here, keynote speaker. Thank you for coming, Thanks sir. Thanks for having me. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about your keynote, yeah. a little bit about the work that you do, and we can start out with these cards which you've got here. What is this? Um, we have a philosophy that behind every great human achievement is teamwork. Okay. Uh, cognitively diverse teams, teams with a different background, mindset, experience. That's the good bit. The bad okay. bit is teams don't work well together. Okay. Like if you think about when you work by yourself, it's really bloody easy because you don't have a lot more yeah. done. The thing is you miss that positive friction, the experience of collaboration by having a different mindset. Okay. And so as we've scaled at last year and we were working out how could we not get big, monolithic and slow, okay. how can we have small, nimble, autonomous teams? Uh, and in doing that, we created something which was our own playbook. And then about a year and a half ago, we are like, hang on, why would we keep that to ourselves if everyone else is struggling with this? Why don't we share it with the world? Okay. So uh, online and, and this pack is the Atlassian team playbook. It's the same version we use internally okay. that we, we share with people free of charge externally. Uh, two very simple concepts. Concept one, how do you put a mirror in front of a team okay. to assess how healthy they are? Okay. Give them that self-awareness of going, here's the things we're good at, here's the things we're struggling at. Part two is once you've diagnosed that, what are the exercises you can do to build your mental muscle to be okay. better as a team? A lot of this pays homage to Agile, okay. but it's not uh, a religion okay. like Agile. It, it says Agile might sometimes work, design thinking might sometimes work, Lean might sometimes work. You okay. know what? Sometimes invent your own thing that works. Okay. So what we're trying to say to companies and essentially teams is everyone's environment is different, it's unique. Yeah. If you don't go through the effort of understanding what makes your environment your environment, any solution you plug in will fail. Okay. And the same way that any tool you plug in, if you don't exactly. adapt it to your environment, is going to fail. Well, and, and almost doubly for tools. I mean, in, in the keynote yesterday, I explained, and this is not news to anyone, but a fool with a tool is still a fool. Yeah. Actually, you've made them faster. See, the thing is, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's not only funny, it's true and scary because at Atlassian, our mission is to unleash the potential in every team. Yeah. And we've realized that potential can go in two directions. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if you're an idiot yeah. and I make you faster, that ain't cool, right? right? And so how do we understand the role of people, okay. like that humanistic side, yeah. and also practices? Okay. Now, practices is cool for agile folk, but a lot of organizations don't understand the power right. of how do we evolve the way of working. Okay. All they want to do is add tools. Okay. They don't yeah, want to change their way of work. Buy a box of ads. Buy a box, plug it in. Right? And, and if you think about it, in the last 20 years, a lot of CIOs got given purse strings for the first time, yeah. and they went and bought SharePoint. Right? And they were like, hey, we're collaborative now because we've got SharePoint. And you're like, you can you put all those files here, and no one will ever find them. Right? But they're in there. And it's odd that, and slightly ironic, we never go back to the origins. Right? We never yeah. go, you know what, when was collaboration really good? Caveman. Caveman was a great collaborator. There was no noise in Caveman yeah. Day, there was just signal. So how do we understand the art for People call it soft skills, which drives me insane because they're not soft, they're, they're really bloody hard. But how do we understand the softer side of self-awareness, emotional intelligence, how we communicate as humans, how we feel, how we work together? Because if we crack that, then we can do anything. Okay, so you're talking about this stuff, and you work at it, how, how big and how fast did you guys grow up? Uh, so we were just over 500 people when I joined uh, five years ago. Okay. We're now about to tip 3,000. Okay, so that's a lot of work. Yep. And you're talking about, not calling them soft skills, but things that a lot of people in business, they're not native. I mean, they, yeah. don't, they don't automatically have this stuff. Yes. So how do you help them gain these tools and especially such a large group of people? Yeah, I mean, for, for us, it was an interesting dynamic because we have a very intelligent workforce. They're exceptionally smart. There's not always a correlation between smart and self-awareness. Yes. 
Okay. So the first thing, uh, the first mistake we made was we created all these plays, all these exercises, and we tried to roll them out. And each team was like, "Ah, oh, I don't know if you realise that like, we're awesome, uh, so we don't need them." But they, a bit of news for you: team over there is right. terrible, right? Yeah. So we go to that team, and they're like, "Oh no, we've been together for years. Like we're there, we're the." Yeah. And so I went. Like, I mean, I milked it for what it was worth. I travelled the world uh, before I realised that that we had to build that mirror. Okay. And then the second mistake was thinking that you could teach self-awareness. So what are you going to do there? I mean, but yes. You can't. I mean, but... you can, because you can learn it and regurgitate it. But actual self-awareness, right. the, 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 the skill, is something you practice and do, something you show. It's hard enough to do that at an individual level, let alone with a group of, like, you know, 10 other people. Yeah, but it's, so this is where, this is where the simplicity of life becomes very powerful, right? So if you yeah. think about health monitor exercise, yeah. when we're doing that with cards, no phones, no laptops, no technology, and you sit there, human to human, right. we get the, t the, the individuals to put their card down first and rate, and then discuss second. So okay. whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, or outgoing or it doesn't really matter. Everyone votes, then we speak. Okay. And the way we set the scene is to say, everyone sees the world through a different lens, and that's a good thing. Yeah. We should embrace that shit, right? So everyone sees the world through a different lens. So as we share our observations, there is no right or wrong. Okay. There is no more senior person in the room that can say, you're wrong. Right. So, for example, we'll be discussing shared understanding. And when we're not doing it with cards, we do it with thumbs. Okay. That's all we'll go thumb down. I'm like, cool. You went thumb down. Why? What, what did you see that, that made you go thumb down? Yeah. And that discussion of what you saw gets us to a, a view. Okay. We then have the discussion about what we do with it. And so there are no trust exercises. There's no vulnerability exercises. There's no talk about empathy. Except we have to display all those things yeah, in the exercise. For that to work. Yeah. Now, you're only going to do that on repeat if you see value from it. Okay. So what we've done is we've purposely not made this a compliance regime. I don't follow up with teams. I don't check that they've done it. I don't tell them how often they should do it. I provide them with the, t with the tool, with the methodology. Right. It's available on our website. It's available in, in this printed form. If they want to do it, they do it. If they don't, they don't. Okay. And so what we see is where teams do this on repeat and see benefit, the very first thing they want to do is tell the story to their peers about what they, they did and better. how they got okay. better. Cool. And so the power of that storytelling means that I'm not there going, please do this or you should do this. Yeah. I'm like, here's the thing, if you want to do it, do it. If you don't, don't. But the teams that are successful yeah, with it, they amplify themselves. That, and every team goes through struggles. There is no perfect team. Right. There are self-aware teams, but there's no all-green perfect team. Okay. And we do this at all levels. Our, uh, our two co-founders, Scott and Mike, and our C-suite, we did a leadership health monitor with them. Wow. And then when we'd done it as an exercise, uh, our president wrote a blog, shared it with the entire company, about the things that our senior leadership team struggle with, to go, we're not perfect either. That's cool. And that honesty and openness sets a trend that we all role model. Yeah, right? So yeah. role model, storytelling, it's, it's kind of simple. It's a lot of work. Okay. But when you get it right, it's sticky. Yeah. And it's real and it's authentic. Cool. Um, I, can I switch gears? Please do. Okay. So... I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile here, yeah. and your job title is Work Future. <laughs> so I, I vaguely understand the job of the futures, but I have no concept of how that would fit into Agile. Yeah. So So it kind of doesn't, it kind of doesn't. So okay. it, the, it, let, let me tell you the way it doesn't first. I, I, I think that we've almost over-indexed on Agile as the solution, and we've forgotten what problem we're solving. I totally agree. Okay. <laughs> And because of that... The problem is we don't have the Agile. Yeah, <laughs> so we, we just plug in the Agile yeah. and we're fine. Yeah. And, and because of that, we've, we've got this, this myopic one-to-one relationship that I don't believe is real. Okay. So every problem can be solved with Agile. 
Um, and that's not true. Right. And so as part of my futurist role, what I'm looking at is actually paying homage to the past. How can we understand the trends of the past? So one of them is, and, and this is huge for Agile, is the world used to change at a very slow rate. Right. Technology refresh cycle used to be slow. Innovation never existed. Uh, collaboration wasn't a thing. Um, if you ran a factory, your job was to be efficient. Mm -hmm. And if you were efficient, you stayed in business for a long time. Yeah. Survival was sufficient. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look in the 1960s, if you were a Fortune 500 company, the average tenure was about 50 years. Yeah, now it's awesome. like months, right? Now it's months. Yeah. And so the rate of change, we've got a war for talent, borderless business, software in the world, uh, competition is changing, the barriers to entry are lowering. That whole dynamic is creating exponential change. Yeah. So agility is one of many answers to that problem. Okay. My concern is that people are looking at agility as the answer, or agile as the answer, not agility sometimes, and not actually understanding the problem they're solving. Okay. And so as part of my futurist role, is, as well as looking back, he's saying, how can we see those trends altering? Right. How do we see the impact of robotics and automation? Okay. How do we see the impact of the fact that we're connected 24 by 7 and working hours kind of don't exist? Right. How do we handle the fact that work can be done from pretty much anywhere? So maybe the office environment, the idea of nine to five doesn't exist, but nor does the office space. Yeah. The traditional office space exists. Yeah. Um, how do we understand the gig economy and the impacts of that? Okay. Do we actually want a job for life anymore? Yeah. Um, how do we understand the fact that most HR functions are set up to manage retention, and I've yet to meet a person that's in the same job they started in. So every HR function's that, failed. Do you think that that is just in, our, in technology? Or, or people are jumping around? I, I see jumping around in many other industries, consulting, accounting, finance, there's a whole load. I think the thirst for knowledge, growth, change, challenge is altering. Okay. I think people's understanding of why they do work is changing. You only really have to go back a few generations. I had a, a really good chat with my parents when I was back in the UK recently. I was like, I feel ashamed saying this out loud, but I've got a confession. I like my job. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I, I actually really love what I do. And it's weird because I go back a couple of generations. They hated it. And not only did you hate it, you were supposed to hate it more. Yeah. Like, the, the worse your job, the more you could complain about it, the better the citizen you were. Yes. And I'm like, I'm really sorry for booking the trend, but I really like what I do. I think that's kind of endemic with this crowd. Though. I mean, we're all blessed to work in the field. People work a lot because they love doing what they yes. do. Um, and I know I have friends that work, they have that separation. Like, they don't do the two things. They oh. only do the weekend when the Dutch Dutch family. Yeah. We work all the time. Yeah. I, I, I have discipline. So I think I've had to build more discipline now for my working hours than ever before. Okay. I'm on the road half the time. Yeah. Uh, and I have no working hours. Okay. So I could, in theory, work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and burn out. Yeah. The only person that's going to give me discipline to manage that is me. I can't expect anyone to sit behind me. And that's got to be part of what you're thinking about too, right? That's what I mean, yeah. So, and that's where agility answers some of the questions or it gives us some direction, but I don't think it's the answer, right? Okay. It's part of the answer. I want us to understand agility, nimbleness, adaptability is crucial, that the, the speed of change. agility and nimble? Because every place I go where they had a failed agile transformation, they started a new one and call it nimble transformation. <laughs> well, that's different. Renaming a project because yeah. it failed rather than killing it. Yeah. Right? That's, a, that's a different feature. Yeah. But for us, nimbleness is around awareness. Okay. And agility is around once we, once we understand that, what do we do? Okay. What do we do with it? Because you can, you can feel nimble, but you can move in a million directions. Yeah. What's the point? You're actually probably very confused. Okay. By combining the two, we're like, we need agility in our movement and nimbleness in our action.
and then okay. we've got to keep these these big puppies on the side of your head. Yeah. You've got to keep those open and keep the eyes open. Okay. Because we can feel nimble internally. To achieve agility, we have to look outside the building. Okay. Because you have to have a purpose of what you're moving for. Yeah. Like so, nimble, nimble on the football field. If you don't know where the touchdown place is, that's yeah, not cool. Yeah. So how do you? How does this, what you're talking about right now, find its way into? A couple of ways. So the first way is uh, the most kind of ephemeral is Conway's law. Okay. Like the way Atlassian is built, we're over 400 small nimble teams. Okay. We use all of our products. Okay. We are in a distributed environment. We have lots of remote workers. We have a very cognitively diverse and, and racial and gender diverse workforce. So we are living and breathing what we think organizations should be like. Okay. And we dog food our tools. Okay. So therefore, a lot of what we build is for us. Um, as well as for our customers, why don't we share it? The second way, which is something that's quite new for us that we're experimenting with, is as we start to mature our belief in how high-impact practices can be on the way work gets done, we're experimenting right now with building this stuff as a first-class citizen in our products. Okay, so can you expand on that a little bit? Uh, In Confluence, building our templates as default templates and saying, hey, we notice you're spinning up a project space. Have you thought about assessing your health? Because here's an example of how to do it. Okay. And actually, in the past, we've not been opinionated on that. We've said, they're available, and if, if you consume, that's great. It's like the Woodstock theory, book them and they will come. Yeah. What we're finding with a lot of companies is they're like, um, thanks for giving us a blank piece of paper. I'm <laughs> paralyzed. Can, yeah. you, can you please tell me something to do? And so for us, I think we've got the spectrum confused between advice and no advice. Yeah. And there's this wonderful gray area in the middle, which is guardrails. Okay. I'm not going to prescribe the solution, but I'm going to share with you my knowledge and wisdom and examples of how I've applied it okay. to give you a head start. Okay. Uh, and the same in Jira. Uh, you finish your sprint and you go to close it out. We're like, hey, have you done your retro? Okay. And so actually spin up the retro for them. teaching them how to have better practices. And also the nuance here, which we're trying to, it's hard to capture this fully in the tool, is the follow through. Because okay. adherence and compliance is easy. Yeah. I did my retro, tick. Yeah. Did you follow through in your actions? It doesn't matter, I did my retro. <laughs> and we're like, no, no, the whole point of the retro is the outcome is the actions. Yeah. And so part of my hesitation on this is if you over-systematize something in a tool, yeah. you get outputs. And okay. I want outcomes. Okay. Out- outcomes are in here. They're in the heart. They're not in the head. They're not lo- logical. And they're often for someone else. Okay. So you can't, you can't necessarily teach that in a tool. But what we want to do is surface those conversations okay. because the more we surface them, the more chance there is of that follow through and the outcome being yeah. achieved. Okay. Just like shipping. Yeah. We had a problem a couple of years ago where our teams were celebrating shipping. <laughs> well, <laughs> but compared to not shipping anything ever. But this is the thing. We tend to, so let's, I'll, 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 I'll reach out and do a stereotype for you. Um, I work with a lot of people that love, that think the world is binary. It is on or off, black or white. Right. I shipped or I didn't. Right. That's, that's not reality. There's this massive gray area in the middle, which is, I'm not saying ship never, and I'm not saying ship always. I'm saying ship the right thing at the right time to the right people. They're like, oh, it's messy, it's murky, right? Then. And so what we, what we say with, if you only ever celebrate shipping, yeah. that is an event, it's a milestone. Yeah. It is not an outcome. Okay. Was there any customer value? Did we get the outcome we achieved? Did you learn anything? How can we embed that lesson learned? Not just for you, but what other teams could benefit and learn from that. How can we grow? What works? Let's share that. What didn't? That is the value of shipping. Are you able to measure, like, to track that in some way? 
I mean, because tracking compliance is easy. Yeah. But tracking whether or not the follow through has produced the outcome you're desiring. That we can. Okay. So um, we run using a, a hacked version of Jira. We have something uh, internal that we'll, we, we might ship externally, hopefully, called Project Central. Okay. Um, every piece of work, every entity, every unit of work has a full-time owner uh, and a team around it. That full-time owner is responsible every Friday, whatever country they're in the world. Five-minute update. What did you ship this week? It didn't have to actually ship, but what did you progress this week? What, what are you targeting next week? Any blockers and, and risks? Um, in doing that, we're surfacing our progress and our movement. On that ticket is the outcomes you're trying to achieve. Okay. So after you ship, we send you a reminder that says your outcomes don't occur the day you ship. Okay. So we ping you a reminder to go, have you assessed your outcomes yet? Right. And then what we do is we go in. It's normally six, eight, 12 weeks after. Okay. If you're thinking about feature usage, you don't right. know that on day to see, one. To see what kind of... Okay. To see. And then what we do is we assess that. The one truth is that it's never the thing we expect. Yeah. Right? Outcomes are a leap of faith by definition. But we assess them, we understand, and then we decide, do we go again? Okay. Right? Is there still some runway here? Do we go again or yeah. did we achieve enough? Like, What did we learn from it? Okay. The thing we've not worked out yet, which if someone can, I will buy it off them for a dollar, um, is how to measure learning velocity. Because I think yeah. we've got an like over fetish. Level, right? We've got a fetish with productivity yeah. and it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Like productivity a is a terrible measure. It's awful. But to somebody who's been looking back at the way we used to work, the productivity yeah. thing in the factory, I mean... Perfect, right? Because everyone's, everyone's manual labor, right? Nobody hated Frederick Taylor back then. No, he they was awesome. The guy's a genius. Yeah. And, and, and actually, he was, he was huge in his time and, and created some amazing modern-day thinking. But in that environment, that's very different to this environment. Yeah. And so your productivity for me is one of those things where I'm like, meh impact I care about or triple bottom line, quadruple bottom line. But actually for us, what we're saying to our teams is, certainly when they're working on something that's uncertain and complex, right. the best thing you can do right now is increase your learning velocity. Okay. The, the faster you learn, the faster you apply, the faster you adapt, the quicker we get value to customers. Okay. I just don't know how to measure that thing. Well, it's I'm a field. interviewing Troy tomorrow morning. Well, I'm yeah, yeah, <laughs> hopefully that, there's some, I'm hoping to find some answers here. I don't think anyone's, from what I know, no one's solved it. There's some good thinking around it. Okay. But, but we're starting to look at the example I give, and, and this works a lot with kind of consulting or traditional finance type companies, accounting. Okay. The Frederick Taylor model said measure time and charge for time. Yeah. Law firms still do that, financial accounting, right, consulting. Yeah. And I'm like, when you hire someone, do you ask them how many hours they've got in the day? And they're like, no, we, we're all for curiosity and wisdom and smarts and, and creativity. I'm like, cool, why don't you charge for any of those things? <laughs> like, it, well, because they're hard to, creativity would be a hard thing to measure. But when, when you think about, so one of our values <laughs> is don't F the customer, right? Okay. When I talk to a consulting legal law firm or whatever, and I'm like, do you agree with that? They're like, absolutely, yeah, customer, forefront of what we do. I'm like, so why do you charge them for time then? What, what, what if you said to them, here's the value we think we can deliver to you, here's okay. how much it's going to cost? Yeah. I think there's places that do that. Though. There are, there are, yeah. there are pockets that do that. But I think it's one of those things whereby until we Break unlearn the habit, the habit yeah. If you look in most, in most uh, established first world locations around the world, working hours are increasing, not decreasing. We're, yeah. we, me and you are supposed to be in this magical era where we're doing four or eight hours of work a week and we get leisure time. I don't know when that's coming. Yeah. 
Like, I, I'm paused. That's when I'm you waiting. go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's your leisure I, time. I, I don't okay. follow to the bathroom yeah. yesterday. Someone had a question for me. But that the, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, we're working longer hours, but I, I don't necessarily think we've understood what effective is. I, I think we dream of it and we want it. But effective is longevity. Effective is reinventing yourself. Well, there's also the idea that, I mean, I, if I have leisure time, there are often moments where I'll be like, I should, what am I doing? I'm just sitting here watching, like, reading yeah. a book. I, I'm not being productive right now. Which isn't true. Yeah. But that guilt lays back there. So here, here's the, the root of my, this is the, the honest part, the, the brutally honest part. My biggest fear for the generation right now is we are about to hit an epidemic of mental health. Okay. Because in the Taylor days at the factory, if home. I worked you too hard, you had, you had calluses on your hand, you had blisters. Yeah. But no one can see the blisters on my brain or your brain. Calluses on my soul. No one. No one can see the <laughs> cognitive load that you're experiencing. Yeah. And, and, my, and, and my real fear is we'll try and cure it when actually we should prevent it. Coupled with the constant stream of media, all the inputs you over taxing. So we, we, we've got so noise. We'll invent some pills we can take. To we've got it. noise, 24 by 7, yeah. right? We're, we're over consuming. Uh, we're, we're not. We're not actually taking on communication and understanding the action. We're just consuming all this noise. Uh, we're fried, and then we've got all this work, and it's getting more complex. So as automation comes in, and you'll see the utopian press about how wonderful it's going to be, but as you, as automation and robotics come in. They're not going to take the complex tasks off you. They're going to take the mundane tasks. Right. So you've got to ask your average employer, when those mundane tasks go away, what are you going to give those hours back to the individual? Or are you going to expect them to do 40 or 50 hours That's still? Do more right. work. Do yeah. more work. More complex work. Higher yeah. cognitive load. Okay. And we've lost the distinction between work and home. Yeah. So we're doubling down on that cognitive load because I expect you to respond to emails on a Saturday, Sunday. I expect like so it's just going to tip over at some point. Which is why I think we're not seeing the gains in productivity that everyone thought the tech revolution would give us. Okay. Because we're not focused. We're doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, as a futurist, you're looking at these things and you're seeing stuff in a bigger picture, identifying issues like mm. you just described. And, and I'm asking about the job of the futurist. Like, is it your job then to figure out? the solution to all these problems too or is it more identifying them and maybe testing them some things and seeing if you can make small improvements here and there uh, that's a good question i um brutal honest answer from the heart i've avoided solutions because i think i'm shit at them okay like that that is not my skill okay. I, i'm surrounded by lots of people that are awesome at but that e but even being able to see i think to articulate yeah. yeah, I think the articulation, I, I, I feel like I have this sense of ownership to help people understand the potential impact, mm -hmm. to see what they might not be able to see. Certainly, a lot of leaders get so blinkered in their business this quarter, this year, yeah. that they can't see what's happening. Like the mental health conversations, one I, I love having with senior leaders who just are completely unaware of it. Yeah. They've not even, and, and actually for them, I'm like, have you ever felt burnout? And they're like, yeah, like, now you mention it. Yeah, like there's a load on my shoulders. So th those conversations, I think, one of the impacts I want to have in my lifetime is helping people understand that. If I could solve it, that would be great. I don't, I don't think I can. But if I can but get maybe, it in more people's hands, the, the wisdom of the crowd can solve it. And maybe it's in the same way that a lot of other practices are just going to show you what's broken. Yeah. You know, then you've got to figure it out. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, so for the folks who missed your talk yesterday. Yeah. Can you give a, kind of a quick summary? So we've covered a fair bit of it there, actually, incidentally there. Okay. What, one of the main uh, components is, is we did a survey um, of a whole of uh, uh, American workers in teams, uh -huh. businesses of all shapes and sizes, and we said to them, uh, one of the questions was around trust. 
So we believe in, in teamwork, and they were like, yeah, we believe in teamwork as well. And 78% of them came back and said they didn't trust their teammates. <laughs> Which is an indictment, right? I, yeah. I, I think we're born naturally trusting. It, it, it's, it's an organic thing, so it must get taught out of us or beaten out of us at some point. And so the, the talk was around how can we understand the goal from that last industrial revolution around efficiency, mm -hmm. command and control, standardization, predictability. Sure. How can we understand the world of effectiveness? And how can we find a way of combining them? Um, okay. Because I think you need to be efficient and effective. Yeah. Most large businesses I see over-focus on efficiency. Mm -hmm. They six sigma themselves till they're blue yeah. in the face and they forget what industry they're in. So I gave the example of Blockbusters. Okay. okay? Uh, in the year 2000, making $800 million in that year from late fees. Right. And that same year, they had the chance to buy Netflix for $50 million. So $800 million in late fees, chance to buy Netflix for $50 million, and they left them out of the room because the data said no. Yeah. The data said a DVD plays $1,600. The data said a business model of going onto the interweb, which right. was still relatively organic and new at that stage, picking a DVD, having it delivered, returning it. That was never going to work. Um, they did the right thing, and they left them out of the room. And then years later, Blockbusters doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, they actually invented a product called Prime uh, before Netflix did streaming and before Amazon did a product called Prime. So. Blockbusters had all the ingredients in their hands, but they ran a very efficient video rental business. Yeah, only same as Kodak, right? Same as Kodak, yeah. right? And so understanding that model of saying, you know, Netflix is now twice as big as Blockbusters ever was, but Netflix is doing something completely different now than it did back then. Yeah. It's gone from DVD to streaming to content generation, and it's kept each of them, yeah. but it's changed its focus at the same time. It's evolved, okay. it's adapting. And so how as organizations and teams can we put our focus on adapting? And do we need to overswing the pendulum to effectiveness for a period of time, okay. knowing it will swing back? Like efficient okay. feels very comfortable because yeah. it's the norm. And so part of what I was challenging the audience on was how do we push that pendulum? And the challenge I gave them was my definition of dysfunction. Okay, which is? Uh, dysfunction is the gap between what you know and what you do. Okay. And that's going to be... At an organizational level, at a personal level, at a team level. Yeah, my target on, on them yesterday was at a personal level, which was, okay. you've got five days at this conference. Right. You can go and do a gluttonous acquisition of knowledge. Yeah. You will know an awful lot, and you can do diddly squat with it. Yeah. What is the point? Well, that's what most people do. <laughs> exactly. Right. So my challenge to them was, instead of just going acquiring knowledge and getting bloated with it, go and seek out the one or two things you can do. How do we create a duocracy okay. where you get rewarded for doing Okay. And I find it ironic that a set of practitioners who talk about experimentation and exploration, which they espouse to others, yeah. do not do that on themselves. Yeah, a lot of us <laughs> don't do what we say we no, should do. No, no. And that's yeah. why that, that model of dysfunction works for me, because it forces me to go, hang on, am I doing that thing where I acquire knowledge yeah. and I don't do anything with it? I've, I've read a book on healthy eating, but I, I had pizza for dinner last yeah. night. It was gorgeous, by the way. But like, how do I understand that dysfunction? And I think... It's quite powerful for senior leaders and for teams. Yeah. Certainly senior leaders who are like, oh, we need to do an agile transformation. I'm like, cool, why? What for? So we have to be agile. We have to be agile. Why? What for? Why? What for? It's in Harvard Business right. Review, man. Come and on. then eventually you get to the point where they don't know. <laughs> and, and so I had a great sort of dysfunction conversation with a senior leader uh, in the US, actually okay. the other week. Uh, a a large-ish, very established, successful, historically successful company that is experiencing a shrinking market. They are, their lunch has been eaten from all over the place. And so I said to them, you know, we had the, the why, the what for, and I was like, you know what? Here's a question. What are the sacred cow? What are the things you are not willing to give up? 
And then how do you give them up anyway? Yeah. yeah. And the list of things that they wouldn't give up was it was tiny. And I was like, right, why are you holding on to those things so tightly? Yeah. Because what they were saying they were willing to give up and the actions they were taking very different. Like we want to be agile, but we're not going to give up our ten-year plan. The mirror thing too. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, if you can't have that conversation, the messages you're conveying, the role modeling you're doing is so confusing to your entire organization. Wow. You've actually made it worse, not better. Okay. So for them, the challenge was what they'd settled on as this weird hybrid model. Uh, we had an honest evaluation. I'm like, you're only allowed to pick one word. Like, what's the most offensive, honest word you can pick to define this program? Right. And the COO nailed it. What was Mediocrity. <laughs> he said, if we, if we were to name this project, this program of work, honestly, it'd be called Project Mediocrity. Wow. He said, because we are, we are gunning for average. Yeah. <laughs> but that, and that exists all over. I yeah. Mean, education, everything. Everywhere. Well, yeah. and education's a killer for me. I, I was talking with uh, a few government officials recently, and, and the challenge I gave them was I said, you know, for 21 years in, in the education system, a child is taught that talking to another child is cheating. And you join my organization, and I call that collaboration. Wow, yeah. 21 That's years. It's kind of very Lawrence Lessig. You yeah. Know, you know, I'm like, for 21 years, you punish them for that. And then we expect them to do it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Right? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, they, they start my organization. I, I want them to be curious and challenged. Yeah. And the education system says, no, you respect your elders, and you don't challenge, and you do, do as you're told. Not, and you're like, I'm like, can we? Mix some of that up a bit. Can we get them to do some like, But that kind of goes back to the caveman thing. Like I've noticed with young children, when I teach like, Kanban to a bunch of Girl Scouts, they're self-organizing. Yeah. They care for each other. They swarm on everything. And then they get out of school, and we teach them not to do any of that stuff. Yeah. And then now we're agile, so you have to do that stuff again. So it's kind of So, so I saw a great lecture, uh, a great talk uh, recently, where someone explained that all the, all the business problems in the world have been solved either by nature the military or sports teams. <laughs> wow. And the nature example was fascinating because they're like, not only nature like bees and trees and stuff, yeah. they were like, look at kids. So play was one of them. They were like, look yeah. at how kids play, how they learn how and evolve, how they, how they feel each other out. And then, and then the self-organizing, how they do that. And you're like, wow. And, like, and then we get grown up. Yeah. And when we get grown up, we had all this structure to it. Yeah. Why? And I was like, I have no idea. Like, there is no good reason for that. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense, but, <laughs> but it's deeply rooted. It's deeply rooted. Yeah. Cool. And, and that's why the other focus of yesterday's talk was around unlearning, okay. which I think for the agile profession is the gift that can keep on giving. Okay. And it's a theory that a lot of agile professionals have got very complacent because they are still selling the same story they've been selling for 17 years. Yeah. And, so, and making good money. Making it? good money, which yeah. is all fair. But what I was thinking was, imagine what could happen if you could find the, the thing to unlearn, the habit, the ritual, the thing that's not going to pay a dividend. Yeah. Unlearn that, free the space in the brain, because we know the brain's full, and use the freedom, that space you've given yourself, to or try something, something new. Yeah. Go and explore, go and try something. Like, okay. Be courageous. Like, how can we ask others to be courageous if we're not willing yeah. to do it ourselves? So the unlearning aspect is saying, take something out before you add it in. That's cool. So I do the four L's. What did I... About, well, I do, a, it's like a, a retro on steroids for myself. Okay. Last quarter, what did I love? Okay. I should do more of it. We don't know how long life is, so I want to yeah. love it. Fuck it, why not? Uh, what did I long for and what did I loathe? Okay. I can only add in a longed for if I take out a loathed. Okay. And then what did I learn from the last quarter? That's from my last experiment. And how many people can I tell that to? That's the gift that keeps That's on awesome. giving. That's and it's a cycle. Cool. I do it with my team, I do it with myself, and we all share. Like, what did you love That's about great. the last quarter? What did you loathe? So, so last quarter, no, sorry, three quarters ago, I loathed the number of meetings I had. 
and I really longed to do more mentoring and coaching. I love it. Okay. So I declined. I deleted every single meeting in my calendar. Sent a note. Either add me back in because you need me, but what's my role? Be crystal clear. Yeah. Um, or you don't need me. I never want to see this meeting again. Wow. And then for half the meetings never came back. That's great. Removing a lot of waste from the system. Yeah. Cool. If people want to get in touch with you, what's yes. the best way to do it? Uh, cool away, so at Don Price on LinkedIn and Twitter, okay. uh, if you want me directly. If you want to have a, uh, a play with the playbook, the Atlassian playbook, so the AtlassianTeamPlaybook.com. Okay. Is our website. It's free. Uh, there's no sales pitch in there. You don't have to sign up for anything. Okay. Uh, it's got three health monitors. It's got 31 plays, DevOps, uh, normal software teams, business teams, HR teams, project management teams, teams of all shapes, sizes, colors, okay. and, and whatever. Um, it's a great asset to, to have a play with. It is not a silver bullet. It's not a framework, and it will not solve all your problems. Okay. But if you adapt it to your environment, it will certainly help accelerate you along the way. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you for your time. Enjoy Cheers. the rest of the conference. Thank you. Keep watching all week. We're going to be doing interviews till Thursday night.